We are in a series right now walking through some really key terms and words uh, in the New Testament and kind of been building layers on some of these really crucial, important words uh, in the New Testament that we kind of wanted to focus on as a way to reclaim um, for us reality and understanding of what words should mean in our context, what they meant in the first century and now what they mean for us. And this is really, this kind of work, I'll, I'll just say for our community, but for Christians in general, this type of work is deeply important because we, I don't know if you know this, we have a propensity just to kind of say things and not really know the weight behind the word. You follow me? We do this all the time in culture and specifically with a lot of churchy kind of New Testament type of words that we think we know. Sometimes we don't slow down and dive in and look into the reality of what they mean. And so we've been looking at words like salvation and gospel and just trying to kind of understand, again, what they meant in the first century, but also what does that mean for us a couple of millennia later where the world is much different uh, in which we live. There's things that are similar, but there's many things along the way that are different. And so the, the plan was, was to talk about gospel, that the gospel is not just the plan of salvation, but the totality of uh, Jesus' teachings. It is his death, his burial, and resurrection at the center of it, but it is the whole gospel, starting with the fact that Jesus pre-existed and now is preparing a place for us uh, for eternity. And so the whole swooping gospel is this beautiful story that the gospel is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus, the full story. Then we looked at salvation and looked at how this word in its context is not just salvation from sin, but there was a reality in which is embodied in this word around the lordship of Jesus, around the reality that, yes, salvation from sin is part of this, but a big thing that we lean into is that Jesus is saving all things, renewing all things, redeeming all things, uh, and, and we're kind of heading in that direction as far as the place in which he's creating and preparing for us. With that then comes some teaching around, the, I think, the most important and most misunderstood word that we use today, and it is the word faith. This word faith, we use a lot in our context in the church world. All you've got to do is go on Instagram and just flip through the one-minute pastor dude, pastor gal, Instagram reel and words, and you begin to see that this word faith is used a lot. When I flip through it, I often see people telling me that I need to have more of it, and that if I have more of it, I'll get something back out of it. Sounds pretty cool. Um, the interesting thing, though, is amongst all of this is we use this word, and yet do we really know what faith is? What did faith mean in its original context? What did Paul mean when he used this word faith? And if you've been around the story here at Praxis, you know that this is a central teaching for me. So anytime I get invited to kind of teach somewhere, this is often a central part of what I'm trying to reclaim for us kind of in our moment in time, this word faith. And so the danger here this morning is I've talked a bunch about this and I'm not going to reteach the faith teaching to uh, maybe exactly the way we've talked about it, but I do want to add uh, a couple of layers to it because I think it's important to get our minds around this word. Sound like a plan? Are you alive this morning in the room? Um, 
part of the context in which we want to see this word is this word in Greek is the word pistis, and the New Testament is laced with this word, all the different forms. The tension that we find, and we'll get, we're going to read in Ephesians 2 if you want, so if you want to open your Bible, we're going to read where this word is used, but it's used a lot, and we don't have time, obviously, to read the, every passage that has this word in it. But one of the things with this word faith or pistis is in its context, as Paul would use it, there is more than just the idea of what we often see as belief for us in the Western context. So the tension we feel is in our Bibles, this word pistis is often, uh, again, translated in English for us, faith or belief. And the tension we run into in the Western world is faith or belief for us, for the most part, is simply a mental ascent, right? This is why in our moment in the church, you can become, you can be a Christian and not be a disciple, right? We live in the, the, the just the world in which you can kind of label yourself as something and even at times check the, the checkbox, kind of the Sunday school checkbox, and come to understand that that is, that is belief. If my beliefs or my doctrine are right, then I'm kind of in good standing. If, every, if I check the bo- check boxes right and answer the questions right, in my mind, then everything is good. And that has been the way in which we talk about belief and faith, right? For most people, if you're a person of faith, it's kind of a set of doctrines that you've come to believe in your mind. And while doctrine is really, like, actually really important, and we wouldn't you know, obviously we give significant time on Sundays and in our communities to wrestle through things. This is so important. This is actually not what Paul and the New Testament writers, and I would even say in light of the Old Testament and what happens in the Old Testament around this word, this is not what they meant. Faith was not just a mental ascent or kind of understanding a set of facts. It was far, far deeper. Actually, um, in the ancient world, Uh, and especially in Israel's story, but even when you got to the first century, faith was not like a hobby in the ancient world, right? It was your entire life, faith. And when you get to the first century in the the Greco-Roman context, you know the pantheon of gods, and especially even in the empire, to live in the empire meant that you were to worship, right? So some of us get labeled in here as Christians, we're kind of like those people that worship God, but the reality is we're all worshiping something, and this was palpable in the first century, where again, you would at times have to bow your knee to Caesar, and so the idea of faith was your entire life. Faith in the Old Testament, we often see, is not just about Israel in their minds knowing the right things about Yahweh, If you see the word, the way in which this word was used, faith or faithfulness called on a deep sense of loyalty, a deep sense of response to Yahweh in faithfulness or loyalty towards him. And so one of the things that we've, and this helps speed us up because we've talked a lot about this, this word faith, I think we, I don't think we should stop using it, but when we say this word faith, what the New Testament writers, and I would say even in the Old Testament, what they meant is allegiance or loyalty. That's how we should translate this word. 
that there's layers to the type of understanding in which when we talk about loyalty or allegiance, it's far greater than just, hey, I have the mental checkbox. There's a sense of which, like we're here on a Sunday morning, you've given your life to be here amongst brothers and sisters. This word means something. And when we get it right, it shows kind of the dimensions at play in what this means. Just listen to Paul here, Ephesians 2. I'm going to read from a guy named um, N.T. Wright, kind of translated parts of the New Testament, and this is his language around this. He says this, Ephesians 2. So where do you come into it all? Well, brothers and sisters, you were dead because of your offenses and sins. That was the road that you used to travel, keeping in step with the world's present age, in step two with the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is even now at work among people whose lives consist of disobeying, disobeying God. Verse three, actually that's how all of us used to behave, conditioned by physical desires. We used to be what our flesh and our minds were urging us to do. What was the result? We too were subject to wrath in our natural state, just like everyone else. But when it comes to mercy, God is rich. He had such great love for us that he took us at the very point where we were dead through our offenses and made us alive together with the king. He raised us up with him and made us sit with him in heavenly places in King Jesus. This was so that in the ages to come, he could show just how unbelievably rich his grace is, the kindness he has shown us in King Jesus. And how has this all come about? Paul says, you brothers and sisters have been saved by grace through faith. This doesn't happen on your own initiative. It's God's gift to you. It isn't on the basis of works so no one is able to boast. This is the explanation of faith. God has made us what we are. God has created us in King Jesus for the good works that he prepared ahead of time as the road we must travel. Brothers and sisters, we are saved by grace through faith. Well, what does this mean? I can tell you a few things really quickly that pistis is not. We've talked about this before. This is Matthew Bates' work. Some of you have maybe listened to the Synergist podcast. If you haven't listened to it, it's a great podcast where they talk about this word in depth. A couple things. One, faith is not, according to the Bible, a mental assent or knowing propositions about God. It's far deeper than that. Faith is not the opposite of works. And I know for most of us in this room, we are very much kind of shaped by the Protestant Reformation where we are afraid of works, right? That works stuff, right? Like we're gonna actually try and earn our way to heaven. When in reality, and I know it kind of feels like in Ephesians 2 here, it talks about faith, you know, this isn't something you can do for yourself. But interestingly, when you read around the word pistis or faith, It's always calling on a type of posture, a type of movement where we actually do things, right? Even here in Ephesians 2, it's not on the basis of works, so no one is able to boast. Uh, The explanation is God has made us what we are. God has created us in King Jesus for good works that he prepared ahead of time. And so anytime Paul would kind of push against you're not saved by doing these good works, there would be kind of... Uh, the other side of the coin where God has prepared us for good works, that good works is part of this. And also say this, for some of us in the room, the tension is it has been faith versus kind of science, right? 
You feel the tension, some of you guys in university. We've just, you have faith, and it's, that's at odds with science. And the reality is the scriptures do not come at faith like this. Faith is not the opposite of evidence-based truth. You know, many of us grew up in this culture. You, you have faith, but then, you know, you know, if you really want to be smart, you have science. And those things are kind of like at odds, and they're not, right? What I want to do, though, for this morning, understanding what pistis is not, is if we get this understanding of loyalty or allegiance, so we've talked a lot about the word faith being allegiance and the importance of understanding the layers of that. I want to look at this word through the lens of loyalty. What does faith mean if it means loyalty or faithfulness? Can you flip to the next slide? Is that all right? Matthew Bates, and this is kind of what we're going to kind of wrestle through because in my own heart, in my own mind, if we are going to get a hold of this word, we have to look it through the lens of loyalty and what this means. I know there can be tension in human relationships to kind of like reference our human relationships as a picture of our relationship with God. But I think there are moments and times where we need to do that to understand what this word means. Because if it's just a ferial, and if it's just like knowing about something or about somebody, I think most of us know in this room that that is different than actually knowing somebody or being loyal to them, right? Many of you in this room are married, and I actually think marriage is a helpful context to understand what kind of loyalty or faithfulness is like. And even as we read in the Old Testament, kind of the, the type of the type of faithfulness Yahweh wanted from Israel. Matthew Bates talks about three uh, dimensions of loyalty. And I think this is actually what will be helpful for us when we understand that it's, there should be no fear of doing stuff. There shouldn't be fear about works, right? I know in the Protestant kind of divide and the, the Reformation, there's a lot of fear around that and that we're saved by faith. And yet, if faith or pistis in its original context is loyalty, any of you that are in any sort of or form of healthy human relationship, what does it take, right? I'm actually going to throw it out there. Tell me, give me, give me uh, in the room some things when we talk about healthy relationships. What does loyalty look like, do you think? A little participation on Sunday morning. I know, it's just crazy stuff. Yeah, sacrifice. So what does that look like? You just got married. You should just come up here and, and preach. <laughs> Keep going. Mm -hmm. mm. But come on, man, you're saved by grace through faith. There's nothing you can do, right? This is what we say. Loyalty would say any, any, anybody with a brain knows that a type of loyalty that we're called to is reciprocal, right? Exactly what you're talking about. Sacrifice, right? We've, we've become so conditioned in the Protestant movement to say, oh my, we can't do, do anything. It's so funny. Uh, we have friends in the States, I've shared this with you, who do an amazing work in a, in a city in the States in the rescue mission there. And it's a pretty well-known church. And somebody got up on YouTube recently and just slammed the church for doing the work that they do. 
and the, the guy slamming them in his little kind of Baptist church was basically coming down on them because everything we do is dirty rags to God, right? We're saved by grace through faith. We don't have to do anything. If you were ever to do anything, that would be kind of like trying to work your way to heaven. And yet this word is loyalty. It's allegiance. When a king would come in a room, when Caesar would come in the room in the first century, your body is moving in allegiance, right? If we think of it through loyalty, a beautiful way is looking through sacrifice. Beautiful, well done, so good. Others, what are other words? Some of you that are married or in healthy relationships, what does loyalty look like? Yeah, believing in the person when you're not with them and having their back. So tell me more about that. What does that look like? So good. A type, of fide- some, you know, a type of fidelity in like, I've got your back. Yeah, so good. Love this. I, this wasn't in the notes. I'm just super happy about this. I'm just, as a pastor, just so joyed inside. Yeah. There's like a, a trust of commitment. And yeah. Like loyalty in the sense of like knowing that, or trusting that when we're not together, like they're not off. Yeah. But like the fact that we have a personal So and what you're describing there is faith or faithfulness or loyalty as we read it in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. So some of you are reading along with me, uh Nijay Gupta's book words of life, and he does a great job, and I'm not unpacking everything he's saying, but some of you maybe have read that. I know one group's kind of walking through it, which is so awesome. If you go back, he outlines in the Old Testament that that is primarily what this word was. It was actually calling Israel back to a type of fidelity, right? So again, just to push, push us a little, it's not just, hey, you're saved by me, and you're good. You don't need to do anything, they were continually confronted for their lack of loyalty and infidelity and the faithfulness or loyalty that God was calling them back to. And you see that, and he, he references some really key passages in the scriptures. Uh, and we can maybe even put that out, but it's such an important, important piece in, in the picture of loyalty. Anything else? Anybody else? You, you came to church, you never thought you were gonna just like talk out loud, isn't it great? It's good. Anybody, good? Okay, so... Let's talk about then, before we come to the table, so I know we're not, the tension here is we're not reading a lot of Bible, and I know that tension as somebody who loves the scriptures, but I promise you it's here, the words around this. But, but Matthew Bates does a great job. He talks about the dimensions of loyalty, and there's three of them that I think are really helpful, like if we could understand, you know, when we talk about worship, we talk about the multi-dimensions, that there's nuance, there's different ways in which we come to it. The same with faith and this idea of loyalty. One is, is mental affirmation that the gospel is true, right? So I think of my relationship with Heather, and I obviously don't just know about her. I know her. Like, my life is her, right? Together. But there is a sense that there is a mental There is a mental affirmation in that type of relationship. Any type of relationship, there is a mental affirmation And so what we're not saying here is 
because the layers of faith go really deep, that doesn't mean that there is a sense of like there is doctrine, there is truth, there is right thinking about Jesus and his kingdom. And having that type of mental affirmation about the gospel is actually a layer to this. So what we're saying here is, is that this is typically most people, this is the default and the only thing, the mental affirmation, we would say that this is like a dimension or layer of it. Correct thinking is a beautiful thing. I would not give, we would not give our lives to teaching the scriptures and wrestling through if that wasn't important. And so even the understanding of the gospel is such a big thing, right? And why we started where we did is because we need to exercise our minds just as you would in any relationship, right? Of what is true and, and, and true in that context. So that's an important layer. But the, the second layer I think is an important one, right? So in, especially in first century kind of context in which the New Testament letters were written, professed allegiance to Jesus as cosmic Lord is a massive layer to what it means to be loyal. And that is a reminder to us that yes, it's in our minds, but if you are in any healthy relationship, what do you do? You talk about them, right? It would be, I hope it would be very odd if you were like close with me and I had nothing to say about the closest person to me. That would be odd, would it not? I think that would be quite odd. Um, the reality is, is when we're embodied in, in a, a loyal relationship, there is a type of allegiance that's professed, right? A type of loyalty that's actually on our lips and professed. If you got around me, and I don't, listen, I'm not, my marriage is certainly not perfect, but if you got around me in, as a friend and like hopefully you as well, there would be a sense of these layers kind of being professed, talking about Heather as the one that, that kind of I'm loyal to. Now, in the context of the first century, we know that there was a Lord. And so this is the punk rockness of the New Testament. Caesar was Lord. You bowed your knee to Caesar. You professed with your mouth in the empire that Caesar was Lord. And what the, the, the writers are saying is that faith is embodying this profession of Jesus as king of the universe. I like how Bates here uses the term cosmic because again, salvation is not just at like an individual level, it is at a cosmic level. The entire cosmos are being renewed and so there's a profession with our mouth. There's something understood in our minds, absolutely, a profession with our mouth. And then the third, the third layer to this is the big one, right? So if, we, if loyalty or faith as we know it, allegiance is the way we understand this word faith or faithfulness, enacted loyalty through what? Obedience is actually the way in which we understand and live out the dimensions of loyalty. And this is where we live in the wake kind of in the Christian world. We have a lot of stuff going on in here and I'll say as well, this is a, the platform for our church, but if you just look at the church in general, there's a lot of Britney Spears mics, right? There's a lot of stuff from the front in what we believe. But the reality of how this word works and is understood is that it was through obedience to Jesus as king. And I think in this room, you know that it's really, it's a farce when somebody says something or thinks something and says something but doesn't do it. 
And this is where we live. This is the moment we live in where the chasm is very wide between like whatever it means to be a Christian and actually what we're doing. Uh, The proof is in the pudding, right? Talk, there's a part of this where profession is important, but talk is all, all right. Talk is also cheap, right? In the sense of like where we're at in understanding loyalty. And this is a big part of, I think, what we need to lean into, that there should not be a fear of what faith brings, what faith does. It causes us, it enacts a type of response deep from our lives towards Jesus as king. And if, if this isn't enacted, if this isn't done, then not only does it cause great problems in which we see, because people say, hey, these people think or believe one thing and they do completely the opposite, but you know in your own human relationships that when the chasm between what we think and say is deep and wide from what we actually do, there's often deep problems. This is what we lean into. We say that part of loyalty is obedience to King Jesus. Part of loyalty is doing what he said and living under, um, living under his rule and reign. So just a couple things to chew on as we kind of wind down. I know there's lots to be said around this word. A couple things. Um, Jesus understood that the opposite of faith uh, was as not, he understood that the opposite of faith was not disbelief, but disobedience. In Jesus' own words, Jesus didn't think the opposite of faith was disbelief as much as it was disobedience. Even deeper is the reality that faith was something that Jesus could actually see. You know that? Jesus would call out people's faith. Now, why would he do that? Because he could see it, brothers and sisters, which means that if part of loyalty or faithfulness is what we see, it is important to be obedient, that faith can be seen on the outside. I love how Dallas Willard put it. I've said this many times, his famous quote, grace isn't opposed to effort but to earning, right? Some of us have those two things kind of messed up. We think any form of effort is kind of bad because we're saved by grace through faith. Effort isn't bad. Paul would push on, you don't have to earn anything. Effort is a beautiful thing. And if you are in any form of healthy human relationship, effort or loyalty within that relationship is really, really important. Can't earn salvation, but it's reciprocal. I love Seneca, and I've used this example before. Seneca was a contemporary of Paul, and he described grace like playing a game of catch, right? You receive, you reciprocate. You receive, and you reciprocate. And that is the way in which we should be thinking about this word loyalty, that there are dimensions to it. Yes, mental affirmation. Yes, professed allegiance. We talk about it. And even deeper, we are obedient to what Jesus says. And so this helps us and it shapes us as a church, hopefully, to reclaim this word when we see it used as just, hey, have more faith. What does that even mean? Well, if we get the word right and we understand, hey, like a call to deeper loyalty, we know, okay, it's not just something I think in my brain, but it's enacted with my life, right? Just sow a little seed of faith. Well, there's part of me that believes that, that when we do act in allegiance or loyalty, that things come back to us. I do believe that. But 
we always got to push on the question, what do we mean by faith? We have gospel, the whole story of Jesus. We have salvation at the very cosmos. Jesus is renewing all things. It is for all of us. And we have faith, loyalty to King Jesus, obedience to King Jesus. We get this, the world changes, right? It really does. Um, With that said, what we're going to do as part of, you know, we see this as kind of the movement of obedience towards Jesus is in our worship, but as well coming to the table. And so the band is going to come in a minute here and just lead us. And why don't you actually stand with me? Why don't you stand with me? And we're going to uh, take time to worship together. And the table is uh, open this morning. And my hope is, is kind of in light of what we've talked about this morning, that as we move to the table, there would just be a sense of obedience, of, it's like a loyalty moment for us. I know it's packaged juice and wafers and all that, but this, the, the, the symbolism of us getting out of our seat and moving as like a unifying kind of event for us that we are loyal to King Jesus. And as we sing and worship, I'm just going to be at the back as well, just since maybe this morning you, you just want somebody to stand with you and some of us can stand with you this morning if you want prayer and just close our morning out by just responding together, a community of, of people together that are just loyal in, in not just what we say but what we do. So Jesus, may your spirit be among us. Come, and as we move to the tables, as we worship, as we sing, as we respond, may there be a type of movement in our own lives in allegiance to you. I pray for a greater sense of loyalty, a deeper sense of loyalty to you, to your kingdom, to your way, to what you're doing. Jesus' name, Jesus' name.